better might be having a ton of new conversations with people, but they're not getting into active scripts. You just need those three cogs to run synergistically and at the same speed, whereas if you've got one that's going on like a thousand reps per minute and the other going on 10, like you can end up with too many calls you can't take or you've got... I think it's figuring out which part of the business you can outsource with the least amount of risk. You look through enough conversations, there's gonna be something someone's dropped the ball with. And in some respects, you have to expect that with the amount of volume you have, there's gonna be some problems. Welcome to another episode of the podcast today. We have episode two, Natasha Storm from TVAC, and we're gonna go through how to optimize your call setting team, how to manage them, and what that looks like in terms of building a six-figure monthly fitness business. So if you haven't already, make sure you listen to part one of this, otherwise there won't be a lot of context. Thank you again for your time on this, Natasha. One of the most um, biggest mistakes I think people make when they're managing their call setting team is they don't actually communicate them enough and they don't quite frankly have a fucking clue what's going on. What would you say is the best process or protocol you've found yeah. for managing setters in that respect? Yep. So I think if you're listening to this, and there's two parts to it, if you're listening to this and it is only you, you are the one who is taking all the phone calls. I think being in daily contact with your setters is critical, especially in the beginning. And when I say beginning, I'm gonna say first four to six months of bringing them into your business. So that is morning cadence when they check in, having that clear start time, 8 a.m. in the morning, they check in, we send their start of day, you are active, you respond, because you need to make sure that they're checking in. Nobody's supervising them, that needs to be you at this point. So beginning of the day uh active feedback the ability probably in the first 30 to 60 days you're going to be coaching a lot hey change this say that they're going to be asking you different questions based on who you can work with if this person has injuries can they come into your program things that they're just not going to know because they're not you until they get up to speed inside that position so I would say daily cadence when you get to a place where your phone you have a phone closer maybe and you outsource it having that phone closer come in and be part of that daily communication cadence. I think the more active you are with your team, the better results you're gonna get. And I think that as you're hiring this person, don't look at them as an independent part of the business. Instead, look at them as this is part of the team and this is one department. And then we have our coaches and then we have whoever else and just fully integrate them into the team for daily communication. I think uh, the way I explain it to people is you have three cogs of building a fitness business. You have lead generation, call setters, um, or content. Um, you have sales, so the closer, and then fulfillment, the coaching team. And you just need yeah. those three cogs to run synergistically and at the same speed. Whereas if you've got one that's going on like a thousand reps per minute and the other going on 10, like you can end up with too many calls you can't take or you've got, which would be a good problem, and you've got too many clients you can't take or yeah. you ha where most people are is they don't have enough like leads coming in, enough calls coming in is the big issue I see. Yeah. Um, do you get your setters to fill in like end of day reports and reporting and like what sort of KPIs and data and like metric would you be looking at for that type of stuff? Yeah, 100%. So I, we have a tracker and you're gonna have like your start of day KPIs. So that's gonna be how many outbound conversations are you having? How many active scripts are you looking to get into? So for us, active scripts is we are guiding the conversation towards setting up a sales call. Um, how many calls that were booked and then any conversion. So any new cash sales, did we enroll any new clients into the business? So that would be start of day. Shift begins eight o'clock in the morning, seven, whatever it is. Here's my goals for the day. This is what I'm gonna work on. 
filling in a tracker throughout the day i'm big on a crm so somebody replies we get them to opt in for a free guide lead magnet facebook group whatever someone's system is that they have set up tracking that all the leads that you talk to into a crm that are engaged leads and have shown interest and then at the end of the day here's the result that I was able to produce. So I said I was gonna do this in the morning, this is what I completed at night, and that tracker is completely filled in. Expectation should be that they're filling in their data every single day. If you let somebody slide and skip data tracking for two to three days, it's the most irritating part of the job, <laughs> but it's the only way that you can make solid business decisions. I think that also has to be a standard that's in place. What um, CRM do you recommend, is it like, is it Google Sheets, Google Documents, or an actual CRM system? Yeah, I personally love Go High Level. I think depending on where somebody's at in their business is going to determine what system makes the most sense. I think if you're running paid ads, you have like a mixed ads and organic strategy, I would say Go High Level. And then you integrate that with your Facebook group, uh, with a Facebook page, and wherever those ads are running from. I think basic level, Google Sheet. This is who came in, this is the number of conversations we had. Um, new convos, active scripts, calls booked, conversion. I like tracking those numbers because what I look for from somebody is how many new conversations does it take to get into an active script? When I'm in an active script, how many scripts am I in that convert to a call link being sent? And then out of all the call links that we send, how many of them are turning into a booked call? Coaches fail when bringing on setters or just running their own DMs period because they don't know the data and the metrics. Your setter might be having a ton of new conversations with people, but they're not getting into active scripts. Where's the disconnect between those two things? Are they not transitioning the conversation? Do they not know when to ask? Do they not know when to position like, hey, do you have any goals that you're working towards and steer that conversation? Without tracking those two metrics, you don't even know which part of the DM process to go look at. Then you have your new scripts to call links that are being sent out. So now we're in a bunch of active scripts, but nobody's getting call links. How are you in eight active scripts a day, but you didn't book a single sales call? What's going on? So that metric now allows you to go back and review, okay, well, we're in this script, but where is this breaking down? Did you not lean in when you should have? Did you not reply to this lead? Did you leave the conversation for six hours and now this person is ghosting you and there's a lack of recency in the DMs? So it allows you when you track those metrics to figure out what's going on in your lead generation process. And then you have your call booking links. Well, I sent out 10 call booking links this week, but only three people booked. Okay, why? Again, same process. And then calls booked, how many of them converted? Maybe we're booking a shitload of sales calls. We got 10 to 15 people getting on the phone and we're only enrolling two clients. Well, what's happening? Are they not financially qualified? Did they not understand that they were getting on a sales call? What did we miss in the DMs? So whatever system you build on a CRM, I think you should be tracking new convos, active scripts, calling sent, calls booked, and conversion. And that is like key metrics. You should understand that and so should your setters. What part of that process do you think is the biggest problem that is going wrong for most people? Oof. Mixed bag. I think that a lot of people cannot transition a script into a call link being sent. They don't know how to run the DMs. They don't know how to pivot it and position it in a way that isn't a turnoff to people. So not just brand new follower right out the gate. Do you have goals? Hey, hop on a sales call with me. 
it's the nuance of when do I offer a free resource to nurture you more and then I follow back up and funnel you to that call so I think that's number one people don't know how to transition a convo into a sales opportunity I think the other thing is being able to get into active conversations so you're outbound messaging a hundred people and only two people respond man that's a shit metric that's a lot of work to get into two conversations so the question is what's your initial message what are you sending to people if it's on Facebook is it going into their spam box is it going into their message request these people aren't even seeing it could you send a voice note? Could you send a GIF? I'm real big on sending like name, exclamation mark with a fire emoji, and then a GIF of Wolf on Wall Street if I'm talking to a dude and like, what's good? Like, welcome to my community. They laugh, they find it funny, and then they're willing to have a conversation with me. So getting into a conversation and then being able to actively transition it to a sales opportunity. So what you just said there, what's good about that, is a patent interrupt. Because mm -hmm. people are so used to like, the worst is someone pitches you a long fucking block message, copy and paste, and you're like, what the fuck is this? Um, <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't even read it, just delete it. Like, whereas something like that, it's a patent drop. It makes you stop and you read and you look at it. Yeah. And then you, you take context for that. And I think one of the things you said there is really important. And like we said earlier on the previous podcast, the most important thing is what comes first. What comes first in the DM setting conversation is the first message. So like, if you take the first message percentage up in terms of response rate, yeah like you say you go from 10% to 20%, you book twice as many calls. Yes. Because you fix that one thing. Yes. Also helps with your content. When your content is super dialed in, it's very valuable. You're given a ton of free information. People are like, I love this dude or I love this chick. When they get that initial message from you, they're excited. You're a superstar. I've been watching you for the last couple of weeks and I love everything you put out. That person is way more friendly and open to having a DM conversation with you. So it's, can that initial message be a pattern interrupt? Can it be fun? Can it be playful? Just creates a better atmosphere that people want to respond to you. And two, is your content solid? Because if you're posting photos of your dog and you're inconsistent with the content that you're putting out or it's very, join my program, I'm looking for fat people that want to lose 20 pounds. And then they get this DM from James, they're like, fuck off. Like everything I see from you is an ask. So I think it's a combination of both. Do you think people try and oversell too much on social media now? 100%. It's, they're trying to make withdrawals when they've never made deposits. You're in the red. Who's joining your program, man? You, I think that we pull so many CTAs. There's so many, hey, sign up for this, my free challenge, my promotion, and you just undervalue what you do. And then people's perception of you and your brand is you're greedy, you're salesy. Man, every time I see this guy, shit, he's always running another promotion and challenge, asking for clients. It's a turnoff versus the people who are like, give just so much value. They don't even make an ask. They don't have to because they give so much that that person associates their brand with generous. He gives more than he takes or she gives more than she takes. I feel a sense of trust. They speak directly to me um, and everything they ever put out just feels like it was made for me and it helps me solve my problem totally different game do you think not enough coaches really put much thought process into what the fuck they're posting and why none and like, just like for me it's like the sheep following each other off the fucking cliff like I, I said to someone yesterday I was like I feel like because I see a lot of people copy my stuff sometimes and I feel like just doing something really stupid and random and just see if I can start to get other people to copy it and see they do the same thing mm -hmm. yeah I think that a lot of people are unwilling to be authentic 
I don't think it's that they can't be. I think that they are unwilling because it is so much easier for me to see something that you did that worked, that you took risk to create that was polarizing or out there or creative. And if I just go copy you because you're successful or I perceive you to be successful, then it must work for me. But it's inauthentic to that person. People, people create impressions of us based on what we put out. And like I said, that like brand awareness, if you're doing something that is not congruent with any of your other messaging, and all of a sudden you're wearing wigs and you're dancing around and you're doing all this stupid shit, and everybody in your audience has this perception of you as being flowy and loving and playful. Like if you're a woman, you know, just like very I feminine. Like <laughs> very <laughs> feminine. Or you swing to the opposite end where somebody's like very no bullshit, hey, this is what's happening, and you go start copying other people's content. Man, we can feel that. You know when someone's full of shit. So I don't think people put a lot of thought into it. I think they go and they copy other people's stuff because it worked for them, but they don't analyze why did it work. Well, it worked because the first three seconds were super engaging and it was a pattern interrupt and it jarred somebody out of that zombie state of scrolling on TikTok. So that's number one, why it worked. Number two, it made the person feel something made them laugh, made them smile, it created a sense of hope, it inspired them. So that piece of content elicited an emotional response. Okay, dope. That's two things. Third thing, it told a story. It walked somebody through a journey, but people don't think like that. They just think, you posted this really cool video of a bag full of eggs, and then you popped a hole in it, and the water came out, and you started talking about showing your abs. And they're like, okay, that's dope. I'm going to go create it. But they have no concept as to why that worked it was a visual story somebody was able to see what you were talking about and conceptualize with imagery that piece of content you put out and also why that piece of content did really well is made a massive fucking mess so like one of the things is people come like, oh, company you've done this walk going over there like how are you clean it up yeah and like when you can do something like that that then creates people to engage because like what the fuck are you doing yeah um it then just goes like wow they got like 14 million views on tiktok crazy right and it's it created a conversation in the comment section i had a video go viral on tiktok and it was a very like tough love like polarizing message but there's over fourteen thousand comments on it everybody had an opinion what was the polarizing message uh i basically said people's work ethic was dog shit <laughs> and then people are you know we're living in a time where people call in sick because their dog died or their cousin three times removed had cancer that they haven't talked to and everybody was like, I would absolutely call in sick if my dog died. And everyone was upset, but it just, it went, it popped off because of everything that's happened over the last couple of years. But it created a conversation that then continued in the comment section, no different than, oh my God, look at that mess. Like, imagine cleaning that up. No one gives a shit about that. But it created a conversation, which then created that visibility. But people don't think about that they just look at your content and they're like oh that's a cool idea and then they go and copy it and they're like well why isn't this working for me be authentic how do you have like a feedback loop constructively with the cool setters and like knowing what content they say is working the best do you have like that systematized in any way yeah so we do weekly reports that we send our clients and in that report it's like here's all the calls that were booked and this is the themes that we're noticing in the dm so common pain point everybody keeps saying that they want to lose weight um so and so said they saw this piece of content of yours they'll link it or they'll screenshot it and say this piece of content started 
these five conversations and we were able to book two phone calls. So there's so much active feedback in this is what we're noticing in the DMs based on what you put out this week. Another example is, yo, I it struggled to book calls this week and you haven't posted any social proof. So what I need from you next week <laughs> is to put up five pieces of social proof for me. So they track the trends and then they send it in their weekly report and we're able to show the coaches when you do X, Y, Z, we're able to generate better outcomes. And then if that coach takes it and they implement and they create better content, then it just makes the call setter's life easier. And if you're listening to this and you're like, well, how do I train that into my setter? You need to teach them how the whole process works. Because I think we bring people in and it's like, well, here's my calendar link. Here's the DM script. Grip it and rip it and go have all these conversations. But they have no concept that you post content to create visibility, you're nurturing your leads, you're trying to drive traffic to the DMs to set sales calls. You gotta teach them how the system works. They have no idea. So when you teach them that, you say, hey, when I post this content, we attract certain types of leads. Can you give me feedback on what you're seeing? Because that will help me create better content to tee up conversations for you. And then it's like, oh, holy shit. Okay, well, they need to know that Joanne is a babe and she wants to lose 30 pounds and that reel you posted really just dipped her off the other side because there is now an outcome attached to the back end of that piece of content. Makes a lot of sense. With um, call setters, what's the maximum amount of outbound messages you let them send in a day and mm -hmm. how many would you have a maximum in an Instagram account? Yeah, I think it's very dependent on each account. So some will just flag you on restrictions if you send over 100 messages a day. Seems like most Instagram accounts can get away with anywhere from like 100 to 150 outbound messages a day before it's like, hey, action block you for 48 hours. So I would time span it, 20, take an hour, send another 20, take an hour, send another 20. But I think a lot of people get fucked up that it's not about how much mass outbound can you do as much as it's I want to do just enough outbound to get into active conversations with quality people to set sales calls so what is the purpose of the outbound message also depends on what your system is if the coach has leads because their content is doing what it's supposed to there's so many inbound opportunities so now we're not even doing outbound new conversations we're just managing what's in the inbox which is ideal for a setter and as we were talking before does the coach have the system in place for the setter to come in? So I would say max 100 outbound conversations a day. However, if that is your strategy, I would also consider the fact that you might have a lead flow problem and you should fix that. And it should be, can we start 50 to 60 new conversations with who's already in our audience with the purpose of getting into six to eight active scripts a day to set two to three super quality sales calls? That would be... A preferred approach so we do about 200 a day and a bit like Icarus who flies too close to the Sun we pushed it to like 500 <laughs> and then my account got disabled for apparently data scraping and <laughs> no um, but and then I got it back three weeks later um, but I, I don't know they thought we were like scraping information off Instagram but it was at the time we started to try and push the leads up we also had like lessons you learn at businesses so like we had a VA who was an editor who in logged into Instagram account from Egypt who was new and did a fucking VPN on um, so I think that's more likely what caused it but it probably didn't help and now we go well under the threshold of that because it's not worth the hassle of things going wrong yeah. um, I'm not sure if this is one of the tools you use but basically our strategy is we have 
someone logs in on the account on the app, someone logged in on the account on desktop, and they take it in shifts and outbounding. I actually don't have access to the account myself at the moment because it keeps kicking me out. But we have, um, and then we have a team dealing with the inbounds on Meta Manager and yeah. then handling the conversations there because you can message as much as you want on that and have as many people as you want without any issues. Yeah, we do that as well. So similar strategy, having like the meta for all inbound or follow-up. So yeah. the person who works in meta is just re-sparking the account, hitting old follow-ups that already exist. Another good strategy that works is having one of the people who's on mobile or on a desktop do all those outbound messages, which gets them into meta and then basically tease up the people in Meta to be able to run the inbox because those conversations have now been moved there. I'm a big fan too though of how can we get people off the platform, which is go high level. Can I get people to opt in? Um, free resource. I, yes, email, but also their text. So quick landing page, first name, cell phone number, email, here's my free seven pillar fat loss, whatever it is. But now I have you in go high level. I can text you on that platform. I don't love being beholden to social media platforms because exactly what you said, you got your account locked out for three weeks. I think we work so hard to create content, generate visibility. You would be foolish to not collect an owned media source where you can nurture people on email or text or be able to reach out to them some other way because you spend years building this account and Zuckerberg one day is like, nah, community guidelines. Yeah. <laughs> and like, you're done. Oh, Instagram, that was my main lead generation platform. Now my business is fucked. What am I gonna do? So I like the idea of being able to use meta, desktop, mobile, and let's take it a step further and collect information so we can have an owned media source and then eventually be able to do outbound through go high level on text campaigns. That's why one of the big things we've done is really heavily diversifying. Before my account got disabled, I knew that day might come and it was incredibly foolish to have everything in like one system. So we use what's called our filthy marketing method, which is Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, TikTok, and YouTube. Um, but one of the big things we've started doing now a lot, we mentioned about phone numbers, is we're running at Facebook lead ads. Anyone watching this, you might have been called by us. Um, we're running Facebook lead ads uh, to our free 4C course. If you want to opt in for that below, we'll probably call you. Um, they opt into that and then we, we dial them. So we do outbound dialing like all day long. We've got two people like around the clock just dialing. Yeah. Um, and that's been incredibly powerful because people are like, oh fuck, is someone actually talking to me? Yes. Because people want to actually have a conversation. If they've opted in for something, they probably want help. Yes, yeah. I think that we sleep on like opt-ins. So you get an application, you get someone from free email, free resource, call them, <laughs> get a hold of them immediately as soon as that person hits the account. Because like you said, they're not opting in just because they're like window shopping. Like they're very curious about what you offer. So I think that's a fire approach. And I think that there needs to be more urgency from the owner instead. Something you said there as well as urgency. And I heard actual Mojo talk about this and we're, this is our goal. We're trying to bring on another dialer so we've got around the clock coverage but as if you can get someone say you opt into our course if we call you within five minutes there's a three times response rate three times the likelihood that you pick on answer because you think if you're on your phone and you opt into something the phone rings you're like fuck like and you'd also be like shit these guys are fucking legit right like yeah that's fire yeah i like that that's the goal we're not there right yet but like give it a few weeks <laughs> give it a few weeks yeah. i like that that it's a few weeks i think that's awesome i think it weeds out 
uh, two things come up when I hear that. One, the business owners that want to win are going to do it. Hmm. Cool. Strategy that's going to work. We're going to get that in place and we're going to run with it. There's a lot of people who just don't want to work that hard, which is okay. But I think it's being clear on like what your vision is. But this is why you say about work hard, right? I'm inherently very fucking lazy. And what we said on the other podcast is that having cool setters and teams is high leverage. Yes. So I don't actually do the dialing. I don't do anything. I find a dialer, set up the system, or tell someone to set up the system, show them what I want. Like yesterday, made the calendars in terms of schedule of like, this yeah. is how the dialer needs to run stuff. This is what you need to do. Off you go. But there's a standard there, which is the standard is the company is going to work hard and we are going to mm. produce a specific outcome. You might be lazy, but you're not like, but my lazy, uh, my lazy versus other people's lazy is different. Like, exactly. Standards. Uh, standards. And your lazy is, uh, is it even lazy as much as Efficient. it's like this? Mm, this isn't my job. This doesn't make the most sense for me to do. What makes the most sense is to contact somebody to figure out who should be doing this role. But this absolutely needs to be elevated because I have standards and I have goals and we're taking this company to the fucking moon. Because you're not coming from the place of like, I'm going to just sit sit margaritas and listen to this YouTube video and not go figure it out. You found the right person to build the system that you want implemented. So I would say in some ways that's working hard. You just work different. It's funny you said, just made me think that we're in Vegas and it's Airbnb that I got with a swimming pool. I've been here for seven weeks. I've been in the pool once on the 4th of July because all the time it's been like fucking on calls or podcasts or whatever. Exactly. Because like, I want to, <laughs> like not because I have to. Because it's a choice. Mm. Because this is the life you're actively choosing to build and you enjoy what you are creating. And you wake up every day with the opportunity to take what is in here and turn it into reality. You've just gotten really good at figuring out this, this role is not for me. I need to delegate this. I need to outsource this. I need to find somebody else who can take it and fully optimize it so I can continue to think really big and do what needs to be done to move the company forward. With that being said, would you say operations are your strong point? Absolutely not. Really? <laughs> you come across very good with the operational side of things. I feel, so we have a general manager who okay. just slays. Okay. That's his wheelhouse. I feel, I'm very creative. Okay, so you're similar to me, so you have visionary, you have an integrator underneath them who's like, do this, like I've come up with this idea, make this happen somehow. Yeah, I feel I wouldn't even be as much as the visionary role in our company. So we have an operator who's our general manager. He's so good at taking like rubber meets the road. I'm like kite in the sky, very big on culture and brand and like just wanting to create an impact. I get super passionate about team and just the opportunity to change people's lives. But I'm very creative. I love to teach. I love to serve. I love to take something that is really complex and difficult and make it kindergarten simple for somebody. But I'm not as good at the operations because I, I'm just like a little bit airy. <laughs> I just want to create and then I don't get shit completed. So we have a general manager who does that and he's very operational. So I just get to take my brain out of that part of the business and go to him and say, this is what I want to do. This is the vision that I see. And he's like, okay, dope. This is who we need in these roles and the systems we have in place. I have a business partner who is way more visionary than I am. If you asked him like the vision of where we'll be in five years, his, he thinks way bigger picture than me. I'm just the person who got really good at setting and got really good at the creative part. So was the practitioner of what we did and then was so deep in the weeds for so long, learning content, marketing, lead gen, hiring, that that's my wheelhouse. 
And then my business partner is like, okay, this is how we take what she wants to do. Because I want to supply jobs to over 15,000 people in Central America. I can assure you that I do not have the operational capacity to figure out how to do that. <laughs> but our GM does. And my business partner is like, okay, dope, but this is what we need to create in order for the company to facilitate that vision. So I feel like I kind of float somewhere in the middle, but my strength is teaching. Teaching students, teaching clients. Training teaching, the team. Training the team. But I train the team on exactly what I said. It's like, here's the marketing, here's how you call people in. This is what you need to do from like an offer creation standpoint to truly serve our customer. So what I teach the team isn't operations, it's how do we make the product better? How do we make the product better from a buyer psychology because I would be a buyer of our product, this is what I would like to see. So I feel like that's where I spend the majority of my time and then doing stuff like this. In terms of what you just mentioned, a lot of people probably listen to this maybe are a one-man band or have like one VA. Mm -hmm. How would you say you've gotten yourself into position you are and like structured that, if that makes sense? Yes, so I, hmm. I think it's figuring out which part of the business you can outsource with the least amount of risk passing that to somebody else. So for me, very first person I ever hired was a VA or setter, one-man band hired her, made her fucking phenomenal at what she did, fully replaced myself. Cool, I don't have to worry about the call setting. Then it was, I took on recruiting when we started this company. So I was hustling people in the DMs, trying to find talent, I was recruiting them, I was doing all the interviews. I got pretty decent at doing that. Then I grabbed who I perceived to be as the best fit to replace me and was like, you need to take over the recruitment process of this. So I think it's, you grow, you train a new level, you stabilize, you figure out what that next hire needs to be to buy back calendar on your time or time back on your calendar. And then you replace yourself and you train that person up to competency. I think our biggest failure scaling ourselves out of roles in our business when we don't have much capital is that we promote people to their highest level of incompetence and then we leave them and we think that it's handled, and then the business is on fire behind us, and we're not paying attention to it. You know what I said earlier about presuming? Yes, yeah. 100%. They've got this, like, yeah. smoke. Yeah, I don't need to check. By the time you see the smoke, it's too late. And then everything's on fire, mm. and then now you're, you're in a reactive mode instead of being proactive. So one-man band, it's what's the next role that makes the most sense to replace myself out of? trained to capacity, total competency, they can do it at 80% consistently, and they're pretty decent at it, and then you move on to the next role and you train that person up. I think by the time you get three to four team members under your belt, your other team members are now able to start helping train somebody else underneath them. Hindsight 2020, that's probably what I did building TVAC. What you just said there I think is one of the big things we've done is shadowing, so like we bring a new person in, get them to shadow and basically train yes. by someone else and then incentivize that person based upon the performance of the new person to train them. Yeah, um, and that's what we did too. Like when I first launched TVAC, we went from one setter to 18 in less than 45 days. Like we- How many do you have now? Active that we manage, probably close to 80. We've placed over 300 jobs. So in the first year, we went from like, like the one person who started with me to over 100 setters, and we grew so fast and growing pains 
managing these people. Holy Friction shit. of scale, right? Yeah, we, we need managers. We need supervisors. Admin. There's so many <laughs> moving pieces. Um, but same thing, we shadowed. We had a couple handful of like really solid setters. We trained them to full competency and then we'd bring new setters in and we would shuttle them underneath that person and then they would train up their skill. And then we just started to do that. And over time, some of our best people who were good at leadership, we promoted them into a manager role and now they help support those teams. But it, it's funny, it's like, how'd you do it? It's like, I think a bit of, a little bit of skill, a lot of just grit figuring it the fuck out and just like being willing to endure for a long enough period of time to then have the capital to find other people that I could bring into the business who I didn't have to train. I think that is like the struggle as a coming up entrepreneur, because when you first start, you don't have the means to go hire someone and pay them seven K a month out the gate. Like that's all you're making. So you have nothing but time to trade. So I am forced to now train this person because I cannot hire somebody who is already more competent than me. And if you can like suffer through that from like zero to I think like 30, 40, 50 K a month. And then at 50 K a month, you can start pulling in some different pieces who are already skilled to replace you out of roles. You jump 50 to hundred so fast. That's what happened to me. I blew up from 50, 150 onwards, like really, really quick. Yeah probably because you grabbed the right people and you didn't have to train them. It's like, I brought you in already ready to go. I just had to get you mm. up to speed on our culture and our vision. And it's almost more of a snowball effect because the more team members I brought in, the longer some people have been there, they would then train the new people and then the standard just kept going higher and higher and higher. And now at the game of trying to employ people who are smarter than me at things, like yeah. we're joking about putting this podcast stuff together, like, you at some point you just need to focus on like you said the wheelhouse of what you do yes and then not get pulled into other things it's very easy i think as an entrepreneur anyone listening to this is like um shiny object syndrome getting lured into like yeah. thing and being a busy fool because it's very easy if i go looking for a problem i can always find one and um, with call setting there's always that right like yes you look through enough conversations there's going to be something someone's dropped the ball with and in some respects you have to expect that with the amount of volume you have there's going to be some problems yeah absolutely i also think that we shoot ourselves in the foot because when you truly hire somebody who's more competent than you you have to let them do their job and not have an ego right yes and we you have we have so many bad habits we're the firefighter we we've done everything in the business we've trained every person but now you have this competent role and you almost want to step in and do their job because you've just conditioned yourself to operate at such a high output and capacity for so long that you don't know how to be like, oh, okay, finances isn't my problem or the being the head coach isn't my problem. That's somebody else's. When I hired our general manager, it took me like six months to get out of his way because I would catch things. And it wasn't that he wasn't doing a good job. He was absolutely incredible. But I was like, oh, well, let me jump back in because I was so used to leading the team. It took me six months to get out of his way. And then when we finally did, the whole team just poof, popped off because then you become the bottleneck when you start hiring people who are more competent than you. I also think a lot of people won't do it because they're scared. If I hire someone who's more competent than me, then what's my role now in the business? Because a lot of us build a business based on lack. I want to feel good enough. I want to feel worthy. If I can do this and make money, then I feel significant and successful. When you start bringing in people who are way better than you, you feel inferior. 
And I think that's a block that people go through. We don't want to feel less than. What if you come in and I feel inadequate in my own business? So then we hire projects and then we try to fix them up and then our businesses get stuck, but that's not what scales. 100%. What would be your final piece of advice for anyone when it comes to call setters, managing them, training them, like the number one most important thing they do? If you're going to hire somebody, you need to have a vision for where the company's going. I know it sounds super sexy to get out of the DMs and get someone to book phone calls, but like if you want a competent person who is highly competitive and is hungry and you are not gonna burn and churn through that talent in like four to six months and just start over constantly, you have to be clear on what you're doing. So we want the business to grow from 50 or $100,000 a year to 300,000 in the next 12 months. Cool. That's the vision. What is the mission behind what you're doing? We want to be the absolute best in the space, working with men who are 50 years old to absolutely transform their body. Like this is this huge vision that we have because people will buy into that and they will work their fucking ass off for a vision. And I think people don't, want to commit to that level of vision because it's scary, but man, that's that's what gets team to stay or you're just gonna be pissed off and frustrated constantly churning through setters because it's such such a high churn role. 100%. That's very solid advice. Um, thank you again for your time. For anyone who hasn't watched the first episode part of this, make sure you go and watch that. If you haven't, go check out Natasha. If you need help with cool setting teams, check out Natasha. Link will be below the podcast video. If you enjoy the video, smash like button, drop a comment below any questions, make sure you're subscribed, and we'll see you next episode very soon. And if you want free access to our 4C course, which I mentioned earlier, we will outbound dial you, but like, you might as well opt in and get some free value. Hit the link below the video, uh, and you get access to that, and we'll see you next episode very soon.